Hi, my name is Dan, and in this world, I'm a lot of things. A father, a son, a brother, a talk radio host. But one thing that I'm definitely not is a Star Trek fan. However, my brother Joey... That's me. He is a Star Trek fan, but only the original series. Live long and prosper. He believes that if I sat down and watched the original series, that maybe, just maybe, I could become a fan too. There's such great writing. How could you not? So for the next 79 episodes of this podcast, that's what I'll be doing. Watching every episode of the original series and coming here to discuss it after each one. So join me each week as I go through all 79 original Star Trek episodes. This is Attempting Trek. All right, so we are doing episode, really, I guess this is episode one here for Attempting Trek. We're doing the episode where no man has gone before. That's right. That's the one I was supposed to watch, correct? Absolutely. You watched the correct one. Good job. And I I have to tell you that before I put on Netflix, went to Star Trek, and I'm thinking, okay, well, there's the cage. Oh, there's the next one, and it's called The Man Trap. And I, I started to watch it, and then I, re- oh. I and I and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right because there's all all these characters seem to already have been established. Spock is filling in uh, in the captain's seat, and McCoy has some is on the planet with Kirk, and there's some old flame of his that they're going to go meet, and it's as though we already know these people already. And this is episode one. This doesn't seem right. Right. Yep, that's true. So, do you want the backstory on that? Uh, you, if you have a backstory that you'd like to provide here, uh, then, then go right ahead. Give a backstory. Well, as we discussed uh, last week, they uh, they had to do a second pilot because the first one was rejected, and uh, they didn't like it for a number of reasons. They didn't like, you know, the women in control or in power on the bridge. They didn't like the look of Spock. They said he was satanic. They thought, uh, perhaps, uh, most uh, damningly was the fact that they felt it was too cerebral. Um, so but what they did was, instead of just spiking it, like a lot of pilots get spiked and then that's the end of that project, because um, Desi Lu Studios was a part of this uh, project, Lucille Ball made a very unusual move. Apparently, legendarily, she's the one that uh, went to the NBC execs and said, you know what, you should give these guys another chance. And they agreed to do that. Um, under the stipulation that, you know, they got rid of some of those people. Hmm. So then Gene Roddenberry says, sure thing, thanks. And he goes ahead and he writes, a, uh, well, between him and a couple of other people, they wrote like three or four different scripts. Um, I think they all become episodes. Uh, so this is one of those that becomes the pilot. You know, when they're done writing it, this one was written by Samuel Peoples. And uh, when they're done with this, they decide, you know what, this is the one we think should be the pilot. So they go and they <clears throat> they show that uh, to the NBC execs and they say, hey, now you got it right. OK, this is what we're looking for. There's a lot more action here. This makes sense. We like it. And so you guys get to have uh, a, a series called Star Trek. We're going to green light the project. Then after that, then they go ahead and they start producing the episodes and then they kind of cut this one up to turn it from a pilot into an episode, and they run it as number four in the series. Make sense? 
I, mean, I guess. I mean, I don't know why they, they moved it to number four as opposed to number one. Still... I'm not entirely sure of what the what the driving reason was, well, but uh, they what I, I just know that they actually changed it from its original version. So what we saw mm-hmm. tonight or whenever we watched it on Netflix, that's not it's it's you know probably 98 percent of what it was, but they cut out some time. You know the the actual pilot ran about five five minutes longer. It you know there were some musical changes and things like that. Right. They had some weird texting. You know, like uh, which TV show from the '60s was it? The FBI that would have these Act One, Scene One, right? Every 15 minutes. Oh, they remember were, what I, I'm talking? About? I feel like there's a few that would do things like that. Yeah, well, they actually did that in the original uh, pilot version of this. So that oh, that's original, yeah, and the, the original pilot version of this has never been aired. Um, people know about it because when it came, when the series came out on VHS, it's apparently in there somewhere. It's not on DVD. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere online. It's but but people have seen it because it is in the VHS set somehow, and I think it's been shown at some of the comic cons and things like that. Oh, for goodness! So that was kind of neat to watch, I suppose. But uh, anyways, sure. this is still pretty pretty real. All right, so let's let's get into this episode, and I, I have to say, going on something that you brought up regarding the notes for the from the cage, which was yes. uh, which was. The original pilot, which is the pilot episode of a, of attempting Trek. And by the way, this is the this is this is really the official pilot. This is the official first episode. I agree. All right. So they complained that the look of Spock was satanic. Right. The look of Spock, which we get right off the bat in this episode, is straight up bizarre. He looks like he's really ill. He's painted yellow. He looks like I don't know. He's been dipped in uh, chicken noodle soup or something. <laughs> I agree. He does have this sort of yellowish hue, and I think <laughs> sort of. the idea was supposed to that it's supposed to be that he's supposed to have like green skin. I think. I mean, I've read that many times, but I've never actually someone seen him in, look really green. Someone in the makeup department did was was colorblind and was faking it because he's yellow. He's straight yes. up yellow, and I know he always has kind of odd eyebrows but yeah. these eyebrows you know what they look like okay the Seinfeld episode in which Uncle Leo gets his eyebrows shaved off and then they <laughs> oh, then wow. they draw the eyebrows on there on yes. him and they're angry looking <laughs> yeah you know? that's what his eyebrows look like in this episode they don't look no- they don't look well forget normal they don't even look Spock like they look just I, I don't know what happened I don't know what's well, going on with that look. I, I don't think – in some ways I think he looks pretty close to the version that we saw in the cage. His eyebrows were pretty much the same. His hair, though, is not as messy in the front, so he looks more like the finished Spock that we're going to be seeing soon. Uh, that's true, yes. And they are also wearing the same dull – you know, what are the – yellow, beige Those shirts, shirts, those almost turtleneck shirts that they, that they had in the cage. Yes, they're still wearing those lame shirts, correct. They are, and, you know, they're very, very wrinkly, and they don't look nice. They look like, you know, they're, they're probably uncomfortable. They came off the rack at the local Salvation Army, you know. Um, and, and, they, they just don't look like they're finished-looking products, I guess. And I'll tell you something. They obviously are not quality material, as we'll find out later on in this episode. <laughs> All right. There's some shoddy true. stitching going on over there in the 23rd century. Whatever century it is. I don't yes. know. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's see. 
Here's what we get right off the bat. We get Star Trek chess immediately. We learn yep. about Star Trek chess. Yep. Is, is that something that means something to you? Like, oh, wow, Star Trek chess immediately. Because I'm like, well, oh, okay, what's that thing? Uh, like, I always thought it was interesting. When I was a kid watching this in the 70s, I always wondered how you could play that game because I was you know, starting to really learn chess and love it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think it became a real game um, until like maybe the 80s or the late 70s when the, when the Trekkies started coming out and yeah. there became Trek conventions yeah. and then somebody came up with a way to play it. Some guy had to like figure it out. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Here's what we'll do. Uh, yeah. 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 Do you, all right. Do you know how to play this? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm a little impressed. All okay. right. So let's see. So they're playing their little Star Trek chess. Or I yes. guess I guess for them they're, it's just chess, and, <laughs> right. and we they're the big hubbub is it, they're getting interrupted, and that is that there's something floating out in space, and it's really small. It's, it's, no, it's about the size of a meter. Too small. An interruption, to ha- Danny, if I'm, you don't mind. One uh, thing that we skipped over. Oh, please. What did we skip over? We skipped over that. Just like in the cage, this Spock is expressing emotion. He's going to talk about emotion a lot in this episode, but he's smiling right away smugly because he's about to checkmate Kirk. And uh, so I found that interesting that he's smiling because you don't see that. I mentioned that in the last podcast. Um, He is, uh, and this is also where we find, we start to learn right away about the legend of, of Captain Kirk because he wins by doing something irrational. (laughs) Yes, all right, we do learn this in the next thing. All right, so I, I did not mention Kirk beats Spock. Spock thinks he's going to win, and he is hes very—he is a little braggadocious about it. Yes. And, and Kirk is just kind of grinning the whole time, just, just right, putting right. on his little charming Kirk face and does his move and wins. And Okay, now we get our, our interruption with whatever it is, and, and the guys get into the uh, elevator. And also in the elevator is is Gary. Gary. Yes. This is, and and it's funny because I'm thinking, who the hell is this guy? I don't know this dude. And yeah, one thing I liked about that is that you actually see the angle of him from up top running into the into the elevator, right? Yeah. Remember that? Absolutely, I remember that. I you don't see angles like that very often, so you, oh. you do take note of it. Yeah, we got an angle where the camera is up in the sky, looking down at them. Yeah, and, and it's probably the only time. Yeah, it was. It was definitely the only time in this episode. Yeah, it was very neat. All right, so they get in the elevator. They're going to discuss the commotion of of the floating meter, and yes, in the elevator, Kirk, you know, mentions okay. how, how and- he wins at chess, and Spock right. is, is unhappy about it. <laughs> right. Because Kirk made an irrational move, he won right. by by doing something that no normal person should have ever done. No, no, no logical person. Oh, should have that's done. yes, of course. Yes, of course. Yes. By the way, what did you think mm-hmm. of this first version of Kirk of, of of the new captain? I mean, they show his face big and smiling, and you know, taking over the whole screen. What did you think of him? A charmer. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought, boy, what a what a charming fellow that we have here. He's all kind of laid back. Like our introduction to him is all in, in a very casual setting where he's yes. just he's playing a game. He knows he's going to win. Like he already knows it even though Spock is is talking about how, yep, you're about one move away from losing. Right. And not only does he win, but he doesn't even feel the need to rub it in his face. It's just like, yep, I'm just that cool. Now let's right, but now let's move on to time. our problem. 
at the same time, a completely different, uh, a, a huge contrast to the last captain, Jeffrey Hunter. That guy didn't smile that whole episode. Oh probably, no, that guy right? was you know that guy was not having a lot of fun. That guy wanted to retire. That yep. guy had a lot on his mind. That guy uh, needed a vacation. Uh, yes. Apparently, Kirk has lots of vacations. And actually, you know what else is telling is, all right. So when they go to deal with the the floating meter, and then they yeah. beam it on board, and it looks like an intergalactic trash can. That's what it looks like. It's a little yeah, round right. thing. Right. It's, it's on a tripod, and then it's got a green light on top to let you know uh, when the compacting has been done. But it's actually some sort of recorder. When the light starts going on, they've beamed yes. it on board, the light yes. goes on, and it's, all right, it's red alert time. And yes. everybody goes on red alert, but Kirk, after he does this, he just starts like he he leaves the room, and yes. you see him walking down the hallway, calm as all, calm as hell. Yes. Like, yep, I know we're on red alert, but don't worry, it's all cool, baby. It's all cool. I'm thinking that they probably, in reality, probably should have gotten a, a lesser alert, right? Like, yes, it's just simply transmitting information, so everybody needs to be hyper aware. But red alert seems to be the only alert we ever get, and um. You know, this probably should have been a yellow alert or some other color or some other sound, right? I was thinking that perhaps they didn't know if maybe it was going to explode as well. Like, like we don't. That's what I thought too. Right. But I, it's got yeah. a green light. What is the green light? We don't know. I don't and, know what green light. And like means. you said, they're not running. They're no, just walking no. for purpose. They're just walking. Yep. All right. Now we got to go handle this. No big deal, right. everybody. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, but they also show, which I thought was kind of cool, all the people that are like walking through the Enterprise. You get a quick shot of that, right? All the extras. Yep. A lot of, lot of commotion. A lot of people. Everyone's got yes. some place to go that doesn't exist, but they're going there. Very That's good. Right. And That's right. And now we head on over to the bridge. And the bridge is full of all, all these people that I don't recognize. I don't see the regular Star Trek people on the bridge like I normally do. Now, wait a minute, though. But speaking of people that you didn't recognize, you had recognized somebody in the opener of this, right? In the opener of this. Yeah, and the part that we just discussed in the scene we discussed in the transporter room, there's definitely someone there you recognize. Oh, Scotty is there. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, did, I did not mention that Scotty was in the ask. That's Montgomery right. Scott makes his first appearance. Okay. It's going to be his only one without Dr. McCoy. Okay, yeah, because I did notice there's no McCoy in this. Also, right. I, I did notice. Normally, I see, I remember that his name is in the opening credits, and I didn't see it. Right, right, and I right. He's going to work his it. way up into that. Yeah, and you know, all right, listen. So I know we're watching some sort of remastered version of these. That's what we're watching. Right. Because yes. every time I see the shots of the ship, it's oh, yeah. some sort of updated digital version. Absolutely. And I don't care for it. I just want it out oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, don't like it. I, wa I would much rather see whatever cheesier version th there is. I, this, it, it looks ill-fitting to these episodes. The, the animation doesn't seem to go with the time period. It looks like, I don't know, it looks like the early digital renderings from the 80s or something. It, it, I don't like it. This one was remastered, I think. I think most of them were all, they were all remastered in like 2007. Yeah. So not that long ago. Mm -hmm. um, but it's inter interesting that you point that out because I, I've always dug it. Um, you know, next time you see uh, a moment that you could think of where you think it was remastered, point it out to me and let me see what you're, what you're well, seeing. Well, I'm just thinking anytime I see the ship floating by a planet or something, like any shots of yeah, the ship. True. Yeah, 
all of those. And I'm not surprised that it's as recent as 2007 because I know that they probably don't want it to to look too fancy. They probably don't want it to look too perfect. They probably want it to have something that's going to fit the time period a a little bit better so it it meshes with the rest of the show. Yeah, and and I think that they did take great pains for that. But I'll tell you, I think that um, sometimes, not always, and maybe it's fewer than more, but – they they will show what a what the ship was going through, and in the remastered version, it's like, oh, now I understand, you know, that, you know, as opposed to what I think I remember from, you know, yeah, yeah, what yeah, it was yeah. before. So I don't know. There's other times where I like what they what they they show like uh, pieces of the bridge when they're looking at the viewing screen, and they've made the aliens look a little bit better, maybe, or the lights on the side or something. But, well, okay, I'm sure all of that is actually pretty cool, and I never think about it. You know, yeah. so for example, later on where they are going into uh, the purple field, the purple right. void, it, yes. that's probably a remastered thing. Oh yeah, okay. Definitely. See, yeah, I did, at that I didn't even think about that. I'm only thinking about anytime right, I okay. see the ship. That's basically it. when it's orbiting a planet. I think is what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Those are the yeah. only shots they have. It. Yeah, when it's orbiting something, or or you know, even in the beginning, like the opening credits are are like that. The opening credits look a little different to me. With, yeah, with I think that they did update through. those two. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. Crap. I didn't know until I saw the remastered version. You know, those two, the two little spinning red lights on that, you know, as the as the ship is going around the planet. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know yeah. which one I'm talking? The two red lights that are. On the tail? No. Well, they're like on the, the they're like on the two big arms of the two big wings. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That, yeah, that's the, the the tail, whatever those are. Yes. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that those were spinning red lights until the until the remastered series. <laughs> so I, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. think that was pretty cool. So. All right, all right, fair enough. All right, so let's right. let's move on. All right, so we're yep. on the bridge. Uh, the bridge still has one of those desk lamps that we saw in the pilot. Uh, Kirk yes. has it. He get he gets. Yeah. He still gets the 1966 model uh, desk lamp. That's very nice. And let's see. Now we have all kinds of people being brought onto the bridge. And this is because uh, – no, wait, wait. I'm trying to think of everything that's happening here. It's because we are now learning about whatever was on the recorder. So he has everybody right. in so he could brief everybody as to what's going on, right? Yeah. And this is where we first meet uh, – our lady doctor. What's her name? Uh, Dr. Daner. Dr. Daner. Hello, yes. Dr. Daner. Oh, and we all, you, oh. Radio Dan, know her from somewhere else. Where do I know her from? Oh, you're not, you didn't re- recognize her, huh? I di- no, I did not. Hot Lips. Oh, no kidding. Sally Kellerman. No kidding, Sally Kellerman. Very nice. Yes. Yes. Hmm. And Gary Mitchell. Yeah. You, you don't recognize him, I bet, though. No, I, not at all. He seemed familiar, but I mm. yes, they both go on to be to do famous things in uh, in, in movies, um, and I don't think that they do much else. But uh, Gary Mitchell, uh, his name is something Lockwood. Anyway, oh Gary he's Lockwood, in, it's two thousand one, two thousand one. Gary Lockwood, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. the one who got away in two thousand one. David or Dave? Yeah, well, he got away. He floats out into space into like forever. He didn't go. Yeah, he didn't get I mean, away. I mean, he. I mean, he slipped away. But <laughs> yeah, he, like he escaped. Yeah. Well, he just about did. I mean, just, but yeah. I think he. <laughs> I actually, I believe Dave is holding on to him. 
with a with a with, I don't know. He's got like a claw holding on to him, and then he has to let him go in order to do something. He has to make that decision. Uh, I oh, can hold on right? to him, yeah. or I could, uh, but th- I have to fix this thing. I can't hold on to him. Sorry. Okay. Goodbye, Gary Lockwood. <laughs> All right. Let's not get into 2001, shall we? Instead, right. let's focus on we have uh, another woman that we need to meet, and her name is Jones. And Kirk can, calls, calls her or Smith. Jones. He calls her Smith. <laughs> yeah. But uh, actually, it's it's Jones. And I don't know what her role is. Is she a yeoman? Is that what she is? Yeah, she's a yeoman, and she was intended to, to be someone that would stay, and she doesn't. Yeah, she just stands right next to him a lot. In the back. Like, that's pretty much all I see her doing. She She's there to uh, be pretty and blonde and stand right behind Kirk, and she does all of that very well. I think you had it backwards, by the way. I think he, he called her Jones, but she's actually Smith. Oh, you see, even I'm having problems. Now I, I was faulting him before, but now, now it all makes sense. All right, so... It should be noted that uh, that Gary does have some sort of flirtatious interaction with Dr. Daner, who shoots him down, and then he says, walking freezer unit. Yep. Well, improving the breed, Doctor. Is that your line? I heard that's more your specialty, Commander. Line included. Walking freezer unit. Which is wonderful. And we know she hears it. it, it you know what's wonderful about this is that Men in uh, the 23rd century still act the exact same way as they would now. You know, it is kind of interesting. It's kind of sad in a way because it's like the one area maybe where Gene Roddenberry's vision doesn't really seem evolved, right? (laughs) You know, it's it's the constant, (laughs) constant sexism is okay, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty rampant in the cage, and it's rampant here too. It's pretty. It's pretty hilarious. It really yeah. is. I mean, it it just it just screams at you, and it's it's fantastic. Um, all right, so then we have we have Spock listening to listening to the recording. He's yep. and he's got. I don't know how efficient it is to have a, a headset that only has one half of it, like like this listening thing that he uses. It it's a it, it's wired, and he holds it up to his ear. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is this is a part where the design was not that particularly great. Uh, probably true. Yeah. You know, uh, these are the, the these are some of the things that you forgive along the way uh, because of, you know, you understand that, that the that the greater good is being served. Don't don't get sucked into the prop so much. I, you know, I'm not really that upset about it. It doesn't really. Right. These things don't actually bother me that much, but it is fun to point out. All right, so the, sh- the the recording, it's from a ship that was called the Valiant, and apparently, I don't know, what what happened on the ship, we don't know. It's something about ESP. They were looking well, we for know ESP. Something. Uh, we, we, well, all right, we know that the ship uh, went into a certain area, and then there was uh, seven people dead. No, wait, there were six people dead. There was one person left, and... I don't know what happened, but apparently the ESP was involved. The one guy who was left was was trying to find out more information about ESP. Does anybody know anything about ESP? Joey, do you know anything about right. ESP? Well, uh, I'm, I'm learning more and more from, from this episode. Okay, well, apparently Dr. Daner knows a little something about ESP. We learned this. She's, she wants you to know that she's no expert on it, but hey, look, ESP is not a big deal. Plenty of people have a certain amount of ESP. 
no one really gets into defining ESP very well at, at this point in the show, to let you know. Uh, according to her, it's just having a little insight. That's all it is. Hey, yeah, she really downplays it. She, That's true. She downplays it a lot during the entire episode. She downplays yes. a, a number of things. Honestly, yes. not a very good doctor. You're right. And, you know, yeah. she, you know, right away, you know, she's brought in uh, the foursome that come up. It's um, it's her. Yes. It's Scotty. It's the doctor. And, of course, it's Sulu. Yeah. We get to see our first version of Sulu, who actually here is the ship's physicist. Uh, later, he's going to become the helmsman that we will all know and love. But um, as the four of them stand up there. Kind of geeky looking. Oh, um, just literally standing there doing nothing. Just standing right. there. Yep. They look right, awkward. Right, right. And, and, and Kirk had wanted them to come up. Uh, you know, all of these important people, like, you know, his generals, come up here and talk to me about, you know, I want you to understand what, what I'm hearing so that I can get your, your opinions based on your fields of expertise. And it's just fortunate, uh, by great fortune, that the, that the doctor – uh, introduces her as the ship's new psychiatrist. So ESP, psychiatrist, that's why he's coming to her for her opinion. And yeah, mm-hmm. um, she is downplaying it, and uh, that is kind of weird. Uh, by the way, Sulu has no lines in this scene. He Untrue. What, in, in this scene? Oh, I'm sorry. The scene, you're right. Sorry, I, I take it back. No, yeah. no, no. Later on, yes. But like here, he, like, I, because I, I was waiting for him. I was like, oh. There's Sulu. <laughs> all right. I yep, recognize Sulu. somebody. Yeah. Because I'm looking around and all right. Sulu's not sitting where I know that he sits. And, right. you know, I don't see Uhura there. I don't know where she is. Obviously, we're not to that point yet. Okay. So, you know, you're looking for those people that, that you that you recognize. And so right after we have this discussion on ESP, we're, it's now we're going to go into into the purple rain that's floating out in space. We're, we're encountering that. Yeah. So let me explain it a little bit. So. They what their what their mission is here is to you know obviously it's to explore things and today's mission is going to be that they're going to leave the galaxy for the first time, and that's why this is called where no man has gone before. Like this is going to be the first ship that has ever successfully left the galaxy, and the Valiant, the ship that you know, that that exploded or self destructed, it actually had tried that two hundred years ago. Which would, which would mean, Danny, that in about 40 years from now, we're going to have some spaceship that's going to travel to the edge of the galaxy and attempt to cross it. And it's when it's in the crossing of the galaxy that it hits this energy field that, um, that causes all the, the chaos on the Valiant. And, of course, then it, you know, they wind up blowing themselves up. So that's the mission, because that's, that's going to be important in a minute here as you take us through this. But that's what happened originally, and that's what their mission is here. And so they start to fly out through the edge of the galaxy, through what is, it seems like it's a purple force field. It's a purple barrier that, that they have to go through. They go through it, and all of a sudden, it's some sort of crazy storm is going on. And yeah. you've got equipment on the bridge that's just combusting just exploding and then you've got a few people who are passing out and then gary our our new pal gary he gets some sort of weird zapping that happens to him and he is out now eventually they get through the storm is over there are no there's no more purple things 
However, we now have to deal with uh, a loss of power, some damage to the ship. We're now on emergency power. And much worse than anything else is that Gary has really freaky, bizarro eyes that's uh, creeping everybody out. Yeah, now, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about Kirk's decision to go into, into leave the galaxy? And the same exact thing that they have all of this evidence of, not being a good idea, he says, that's our mission. <laughs> and if there's, if there's a problem, then we need to be the, the ship that like teaches other ships not to do this. Are you excited about your captain? <laughs> I will tell you, this is the sort of thing where someone needs to say, I don't, I don't recall signing up for this. This was not part yeah. of when, where was this in the mission? <laughs> Going through the places that other ships end up uh, exploding or whatever happening to them. We don't even know what happens to them. I, this I is where the legend of Kirk is built, right? It's being built right before our eyes that he's so incredibly fearless. He just sees the greater good the whole time. And he says, no, no, this is what we have to do. It's our, it's our job. And you did sign up for this, by the way. <laughs> Ugh, man, nobody likes that guy. All yeah, right. No <laughs> so the people who were affected going through the barrier were all of the people on on board who have some level of ESP, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, yeah. and and we are uh, we're looking at some of the records. Is this where we're looking at the records? And again, we're using an overhead projector to look at records, by the way. Yes. We are looking at we are looking at paper records. <laughs> We're not looking at any kind of digital readout. They could have remastered that. that I might have been okay with a remastering of that. Oh, okay. That, All right. That, that would have been a good idea. Well, I'll tell you, that definitely looks, that makes the, the, well, everything makes the show look dated, but that makes it look incredibly dated to me, like that right there. As we're he looking. Definitely does. Yeah, like we're looking at microfiche in the 23rd yes. century. Yes, that's a good, that's a good way to say it. It definitely looks like microfiche. It's. Yeah. It's tiny, you know, photographs of, uh, you know, actual paper documents that are blown up. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Looks yeah. a little. Yeah, that's true. Looks a little. Now, silly did you almost. happen to uh, hit pause so that you could read any of the documentation <laughs> that they had up there? All right. Shockingly, I did not do this. <laughs> I was I, I didn't know how uh, what the requirements. Maybe I didn't know what I was signing up for in my mission. <laughs> I, I needed to be pausing and reading the medical documents of the fictional characters. Absolutely not, Danny. That's what I'm here for. Oh, okay. Know. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So, yeah. so I definitely wanted to find out what those things said, right? So, um, you know, the, the first document is uh, – or set of documents. It's two documents for two people. Um, that's what they show us. And I think what's actually happening is Spock is probably looking at documents of all of the people that were affected – um, by the blast. So the ones that they show us are Dr. Daner, who we saw, you know, get that electrical force, you know, field around her just the way it happened to um, Gary Mitchell. Um, so those are, those are the two that they show us. First one, um, it has her name, it has her address and the city that she was born in. And um, it has her height and weight. Her height, by the way, is five foot two. And she weighs 116 pounds. Okay. And she is 21 years of age. Okay. All, all of those things are lies. <laughs> um, now, she, it shows that uh, the second page of the documentation for her shows that she has a very high apperception quotient as it relates to Esper rating. She gets a, a quotient of 20 out of 100. 
and her esper rating is 089. And if you read the, the summary in there, it talks all about the fact that it going, she has a higher level of ESP in, in her family history than most people do. Um, it's nothing dramatic, but it, it does go back several generations and, um, she's written a thesis about it, I believe. And, um, so anyways, she's familiar with ESP. Then you get to Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell mm-hmm. and he's five foot nine. He weighs 160 something pounds. You can't see the, uh, the third digit too well. And he is of age 23. Um, and his Esper rating is a little higher. Hers was 89 and his is 091. His A perception quotient is 20 out of 104. I don't know what these things mean, of course. Uh, okay, very um, good, because yeah, none of us do. Right. And um, there's a lot of things underlined, which is kind of interesting. Um, but there's definitely um, more um, ESPN. Uh, I'm sorry, ESP, ESPN. ESPN. Holy cow. He has, um, in fact, I'll I'll read it. It says, there is also a strong tendency through the maternal bloodline toward esper-oriented abilities dating back through at least six generations to both males and females who dabbled in metaphysical studies, blah, 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 blah. So they're telling you right there that these two people have a lot of this uh, ESP ability in their blood. Okay. Yeah. These people have, all right, it's in the blood. All right, yep. so now we're going to visit Gary in sick bay because yes. we've got to find out how he's doing. We like Gary. He seems like an okay guy. He likes to hit on he likes to hit on broads. Seems like a <laughs> swell fella. And <laughs> he's still got the crazy eyes, right? And Yeah, you want to know about the eyes? Uh what? Oh, oh, okay. Are we going to you going to tell me about the contacts that he wore or something? Yes. All so right, they went ahead. to somebody who came up with uh an idea for putting tinfoil in your eyes. Oh, my God. That sounds terrible. So what they did was they used a certain kind of contact lens that they had that actually by that time uh, in history had been outdated and were not used anymore by people. <laughs> because it was causing cancer. <laughs> and so what? I don't know how, how exactly it happened, but it seems to me that somebody went ahead, this guy that um, – somebody that's famous in the movie history uh, of things – he went ahead and came up with two contact lenses okay. and then put the tinfoil with some tiny holes poked through the tinfoil and um, then just pushed it, crushed it all together like a reverse Oreo cookie. And you slide these things into your eyes. And um, so uh, Lockwood apparently had a lot of difficulty with these. They hurt. <laughs> oh, shocking. Shocking. He couldn't see, so that's why you know how he looks up, or his head looks up, and he kind of looks at you down? Yeah, he looks, you know what? He looks at you like a blind person would look at you. Yeah, right. Well, that's done kind of on accident, but it helps the storyline because for whatever reason, he couldn't see through the holes that they had set up for him. So (laughs) that's why he has to do that. (laughs) You say it like it's some surprise that the horrible idea of taking tinfoil and putting them into a contact lens and having somebody wear this. Wait, the little holes that we poked in the tinfoil didn't work. What? You mean you couldn't see? 
Well, but they did work for Sally Kellerman, though. So she doesn't have to do that. It's so she she experienced idea. a lot less difficulty for whatever reason. This is the kind of thing where uh, you, know, you really have to enjoy acting or you really need the money yes. or something because yes. I don't think I'm putting that in my eyes. I think a lot of people are not. <laughs> like, like, oh, God. All Apparently right. she was able to take them in and out with no problem, but like no he, he struggled. Yeah, yeah. All right, so also what we learned here in, in uh, Kirk's visit with Gary, you know, they're, they're chatting, you're finding out, uh, uh, you know, that they go back, they have a, a history, that they're pals, right. that, yep. uh, and, and, and Gary reveals that back in the day, he set Kirk up with a woman. Yes. And Kirk didn't know about it. He, he got a woman to start dating Kirk, so uh, to you know, help Gary get through the whatever class Kirk was teaching at the time. And so he wanted Kirk to ease up and, hey, you know what, maybe. And and Gary, being the progressive male that he is, went ahead and found some broad and gave her a few space dollars and say, hey, why don't you date Captain Kirk over here so he can get off my back? Yeah, I think he was actually studying, but it was more like he was uh, always pushing everybody because he was Mr. Studying Guy. Oh, is doesn't he call him like, uh, yeah. doesn't he say books with legs? Books with legs? Yeah, he says that, you know, Kirk was always studying more than anybody else and that he was basically known as the guy you know, who was books with legs. Oh, uh, I did not even, I don't remember that. It's something like that. Something I, I, I will tell you, uh, watching this scene, I thought, oh, okay, so Gary's kind of a dick. That's what I started thinking. <laughs> Like I, I don't know if any, if I was supposed to get that, but I mean, I probably should have gotten it already with uh, his interactions with the ladies. But it's like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe Gary's not that cool of a guy. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. But on the other hand, you know, he's been zapped, so we don't know. Well, yeah, but he I mean, still went ahead and paid a woman to date Kirk 15 years ago. I mean, come on, yeah, that's, that's yeah, not cool. Yeah. Actually, yeah. And you, you know what? It's funny because all right, you said how old is Gary? Oh, in, uh, on the show, uh, his uh, character is 23. He's 23. And Kirk yep. says at some point that they go back 15 years. <laughs> so what, they, 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 they joined Starfleet when... Uh... Maybe they were friends before that. I, Maybe they grew up and went to kindergarten uh, together. See, stuff. I didn't get the impression that, that that's what he meant. That yeah, Yeah, no, no, we met each other when we were eight. No, I don't think that's what he was talking about. It's not what he's talking about, but yeah. it it could be. I mean, it doesn't mean that they just because they only talk about the time in the academy doesn't mean that they weren't neighborhood friends, childhood friends either. You know what? All right, so maybe maybe those files are from when they first joined. Is that possible? Oh, that's a good call. Okay, that's a good call. Yeah, that, that would make the twenty one make sense also. Although the five two, yes. come on. Yeah, no, you're right. That's what it must be. Because I was looking at thinking, looking at that, thinking there's no way you can be a psychiatrist by the age of 21 and you're already like on a spaceship and everything. Yes. Um, unless you know people just learn so much faster in the future. But I wasn't going there yet. I was just thinking. But I think you're right. These people all appear to be uh, 30-ish, 32. Yes, I would say. Yeah, they're all 30s. Yeah, everybody's okay. 30s. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so. Let's see. So now we get where uh, Gary is reading some files on the computer, yep. and yep. everybody and on the bridge, Kirk and Spock are watching him. Hey, um, he's using like magic powers to read all of these files, and he's reading them really quick. Have you noticed yeah. that? He's reading them like 
He's just it, he, he's reading them so fast. All he's doing is looking at them. It's just like one and then another one and then another one. And these are pages that have lots of things on them. These microfiche pages that he's looking at, they're all full of words, and he's uh, clearly absorbing them very quickly. They're also very complicated books. Um, you know, at, at one point, uh, Kirk finds out which book he's reading, and it's it's uh, a very famous one in in real life. It's it's called Ethics by Spinoza. Are you familiar with that, Radio Dan? No, no, no. I, I did notice he was he was also reading Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus. Which I thought would be good for him. I think he was writing that one actually. <laughs> uh, Spinoza, in actual history, uh, it's uh, somewhere around the uh, in the 1670 something. Um, he's a, a Dutch philosopher, and you know, you try and read some of his stuff, and it is very, very heady, very complicated. Whoa, what did I just read? Let me read that sentence again six times kind of a thing. And that's what this guy is flying through. Wait a minute. Uh, have, you, have, have you read any of this? I've tried. Really? Well, I mean, I'm a, you know, I had, to, I had to research for the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see. So you read some of this tonight. All right. Fair I enough. Was try- I, listen, I'm not Mitchell. I, I couldn't blink my way through it the way he did. I, I just, so I gained I, more listen, respect for what he was doing. I was just curious if maybe you had read this at some other point in your life. That's all. That's all. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, possible for me to read that and understand what I'm reading. I, it's very no, petty. I'm, that's true. I, I don't even know how you would do with the Men Are From Mars book. So I get it. <laughs> all right. So let's see. Let's get back to what we're – uh, the point. Uh, let's get back on point here. So now we have another doctor, some old guy, and Gary. He says, "Hey, you know what, Gary? You're perfectly healthy. You're doing fine. You're as as, as healthy as ever." Although Gary, you're doing better than healthy. You're doing better than fine. Although Gary, this doesn't mean that Gary's getting up or and and leaving the sick bay at any time. He's still there, even though he's perfectly healthy. So I, I don't really get that. Like, why is he still just lying in bed the whole time? Do, I, I, well, I, they don't want him to get up. I, I, like, I, so that's it, probably captain's orders. Okay. All right. I guess that would make sense. So, yeah, I mean, especially with what they're watching on the bridge. So he leaves, and now we have Dr. Daner in there, and things start getting a little uh, weird and interesting. We start seeing just how powerful Gary actually is. He starts playing around with his medical gauges. He starts uh, pulling planting the seeds of love with Dr. Daner. <laughs> she goes yes. ahead and tests the, his memory of a book. She wants to, all right, you're reading and you're absorbing this stuff. And so she turns her back and she opens up a book and she reads something. And apparently it's a sonnet from the, from the year 1996. Oh, I got to tell you about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is actually a poem written by Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I didn't think it was from 1996. I can tell you that <laughs> because I remember 1996, and I'm pretty sure no sonnets were written that year. I love his wings, slender feathered things with grace and hip swept curve and tapered tip. Nightingale woman, written by by Tarbell on the Canopus planet back in 1996. It's funny you picked that one, Doctor. Why? It's one of the most passionate love sonnets of the past couple of centuries. 
Yeah, yeah. No good ones anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. It was a very bad year for sonnets. They weren't putting up any books, I'll tell you that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so anyway, so now we know that Gary can, can manipulate things, can move things around, and he's also using his powers for love. He's kind of uh, getting romantic with Dr. Daner. And this is where they get interrupted by Lee, so a guy who was on the bridge. Oh, right. he, he's just showing up to to visit to see how Gary's doing, uh, and they have a little conversation about the repairs that are going on with the ship. And Gary has all all this knowledge about what they're doing and that it's wrong. Hey, if you activate that, look, if you go ahead, you activate that thing, you're gonna blow the ship up. And at first, Lee. It's like, yeah, whatever you know. You don't know nothing. All right, whatever you say, whatever you say, Gary. And, and then and then he gets yelled at. He gets a good scolding, which yes. now Lee takes him seriously. He gets weirded out by the experience and leaves the room. Well, yes. I, I'm, I'm going to get out of here now that I know you're weird these days. You better check the starboard impulse packs. Those points are about decayed to lead. Oh, yeah, sure, Mitch. I'm not joking, Lee. You activate those packs and you'll blow the whole impulse deck. And what we- well, and let's, you know, Mitchell has been, um, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, he's sort of an arrogant guy. And, and he is going into, even before he was struck, like when he runs into the elevator, he's sort of enjoying the uh, the mocking laugh at Spock's expense about the chest. Absolutely. And he also, he also makes fun of that same lieutenant, uh, uh, Kelso. Right there, he, you know, in the elevator, he says, well, you know, obviously he was nervous because, you know, you and I weren't on the bridge. He says something like that. So he doesn't seem to think a lot of Lieutenant Lee Kelso. Poor, poor Lee Kelso. No kidding. It's not a good episode for him. No, no. But, but also, we're learning that he can read his mind. That, here's, the, I think, our first example of him reading somebody else's mind because he has this information because he looked into Kelso's brain and saw what what Kelso had seen, which is crazy, right? He yes. actually saw the picture. Yes, he saw, saw that it was burned out. Yeah, he saw his memories. Ah, yeah, so this is so what you cool. saw, and he also so that guy is a fool. Yeah, of course. But now that's that's the <laughs> godlike thing that he's turning into, right? Yes, yes. taking over. So now we're going to have a meeting about this. Now, all right, everybody, everybody into the cor- into the corporate stuff. Uh, into the conference room. We got to talk about what's going on with our, with with Gary. He's getting a little weird. So Lee is telling Lee tells everybody the story, and Doctor Daner makes it all right. First of all, they go over all of the evidence that we have. All right. Well, he's absorbing all of this stuff real fast, and uh, he's uh, you know he, he I don't know. I think he read my mind. I think this is going on, and Doctor Daner is like, yeah, it's no big deal. What what? So he reads really fast. Why is that, is that a crime? You know, all of it's so funny. Her initial reaction was so to to downplay all of the obvious abilities that this guy is developing. Well, right, and she, you know, when he starts asking her, you know, what she's seen, she really whitewashes it. Absolutely, says, well, a little bit of uh, ESP, right? And and you know, like she doesn't say anything specific. Like, how about the fact that? he was able to manipulate death in front of her on the sickbed, right? Yes. 
right? How about the fact that he told her that he read the image of that was in Kelso's brain? Yes. Like she should say those those things are huge, huge red alerts, real red alerts, right? Ab- absolutely. How not say that. No, no, she doesn't. She makes it sound like look, this is just you know, look, it's ESP. This is what ESP is. It's not a big deal. Everybody just relax. It's just a little insight. It's <laughs> just a little insight. Just like my Dodge insight that I had in 1995. So just a little insight. Those were little insights, weren't they? So she says, so, but now she becomes indignant with Spock and everybody else saying, mm-hmm. you know, I don't understand how you could turn on him. I don't understand you, Mr. Spock. I, I guess, you know, maybe it's because, you know, you don't feel emotion. But then she turns to Kirk. And she says, I understand you least of all because you've been friends for so long. And she actually says this, supporting your theory from earlier. You, you've been his friend since he joined the service. Bingo. Okay, see, I knew. I, there yeah. you go. That, I got the impression that it would, they yep. joined up at the same time 15 years ago. Well, since, since he joined the service. He could have been there a year or two earlier. But oh, yeah. Okay, well, whatever. Right? Yeah, but yeah, you're, you're correct. So, I mean, that line definitely shows up right there. Yeah. And he makes it, she makes it clear, you know, what the history is between, between them. And we so also, the we, we fact also that know. she's arguing all this is very, it's very frustrating, I think, for the viewers because now you, you're starting to feel like you can't trust her. Um, yeah, you de- look, you definitely can't trust her. <laughs> you definitely cannot trust this woman. Scotty points out that he was. All of the ship's controls were all oh, right. moving around, all on their own. Yeah, that's Nobody right. was that's doing right. this. Nobody was in the room. Nobody was doing it. All the controls are moving around. We're all freaked out by it. Obviously, it's Gary doing it. And Spock has the suggestion. All right, so how, how, how do we solve this problem? Well, here's what we do. There's a planet that's not too far from here. We can just <laughs> drop them off and then leave them. Or yep. we could kill them. One or the other. These are these are our two options. Because yeah, so look, his power is oh, growing, sorry. and it's eventually going to get out of hand. Is what they've determined. And so, what do you do with a with, with a guy who's got a growing power who might decide to take over the ship? Who might decide? Uh, all right, you guys, you're all going to serve me now. Who think? Who's going to eventually think he's a god? Well, you got to get rid of that guy one way or another. The nice way. Send him down to some empty planet. There you go. Go rule there. Or yep. you could just kill him. Whatever works. And yeah. So I, w- I want to point out a couple of differences here. Um, going back to the the cage, you know, what I felt like, and you're going to see more and more of this, I think, as the series goes along. The cage, um, their idea of how to deal with, with anything, they were very – it was a very cold way of looking at things that camp there's very little compassion that's talked about. It's just, you know, everything is business. And in that, in the cage, they actually used hate as a tool so that he could prevent those aliens from reading his mind. Remember that? Yes. And it was very easy for him to go to hate. Like I'm filling my mind with all sorts of hate. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, well, you don't get that from the series ever. You know, I don't think. I think the series is always about hate is a bad thing. And it's always about love and kindness and compassion. And this this thing that Spock is doing here, even though they're starting to transition away from what they did in the cage, this is sort of a holdover for me. Where this version of Spock, he's very cold and calculating, and he's like, you know what? This is what you got to do. 
you either, you either strand him or you kill him because that's the those are the two, only two logical choices. And I don't care if you guys have been friends or whatever. I'm telling you, it's going to bite you in the ass. And he continues. This is the first time he mentions it. He continues to push. And I'm always struck by that when I watch this uh, watch this version this version of Spock here because in all as we start to see the more finished Spock, he just becomes a guy that answers your question, gives you the information. He doesn't ever push. He lets you decide. But here, he, this is the beginning of him pushing and pushing and pushing. I want my way, damn it, almost. Mm. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now Kirk is morally conflicted about what to do, but eventually they go. They come up with the plan. All right, we're going to go to this, this planet, Delta Vega, and we could do some repairs there. And we have a little base down there, and that base is empty, and people go by there maybe every 20 years, and we'll just leave him there. We'll just tell Gary it's a rest stop, and just, you know, he goes into the bathroom, and then we'll take off. So they go, and they visit Gary, who's still lying in the bed. And he, Gary already, he, all right, he knows Spock wants to kill him, and they have a little conversation. And then Gary, not only can he move things around and read minds and read books real fast, but he has he has the same powers that Electro has in Sp- on Spider-Man. He starts shooting out electric bolts. He goes ahead and he shocks Kirk and Spock in this yes. in this next scene. Well, Spock shows up with a with a with, with a laser. With a, a very hilarious looking gun that's very hilariously strapped to the outside of his shirt. I'll tell you what, though, it looks like the same gun that they used in the cage, but it, I'm not it, sure. It, it looks a little different, but it's very similar to that. It absolutely yeah. is, yes, and I totally noticed it. Uh, although we are going to get a much better gun in, in a few minutes. Now, oh, I- yes. Oh, are we ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want that gun. <laughs> of course you do. I'm surprised you don't yes. have I'm surprised you don't have your own model version of it somewhere. Yeah, man, I should. I should. Now, Gary does not want, he lets him know, look, guys, I don't, I understand you want to drop me off in a planet. I don't like that one. Let's go, right. let's go planet shopping. I need a better one if I'm going to go down there and rule, <laughs> which is hilarious because now, now it's just all godlike. It's just all, be- yes, yes, that's it. Right. I am now this, I'm a different person now. Eventually, they knock him out, they drug him. They get him onto the transporter. They all go down to the planet. They beam down to Delta Vega, which is another uh, matte painting planet. There's a big giant painting down there. What did you? What did you? Did you like it though? The the matte painting. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these are these are such obvious. Like man, they're such way. Uh, right, there's two mad paintings going on in this. There's the one where they first get down there, and you kind of see like buildings or something, you know. Yeah. That right. that is that is the cooler mad painting because it has. I'm thinking different it's like uh, power plants or something, right? Right. Yeah. Some sort of industrial uh, buildings that are there that where they would go and they would have their the base there where they would have and they could they could make the repairs or whatever it is they're doing. Yes. Uh, then l- later on, there's the other mad painting, which would be. When they're out in the rocks, you know, it's all rocky and mountainous and you just see like a couple of mountains in the background. But also just right. obvious, some of the more obvious mad paintings that I've ever seen are apparently uh, they were all on this show because they're yep. just incredibly blatant. <laughs> yes. And yeah, they probably were like 
built for you know some other other TV shows, whatever. Because <laughs> they're doing they this were. all on the set of Desi Lu. Yeah, maybe they were. They're yeah, just, someone it could have appeared in some version of you know Rawhide or something. Who knows? Yes, that's true. You know, uh, someone had to go and and, and get permission. Someone was going yeah. over to going over to Lucy. She's telling them, "All right, go to MGM." Go in the back. They got some in the closet over there. Just, just take, just take one. Just tell them Lucy. She already it. has that voice. Oh, it, she always has that voice. It's the okay. sixth. Like, if it ain't I love Lucy, she's got that voice. That's yeah, that's how Lucy is to me. That's how she yeah. is to me. And also smoking a cigarette. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just go ahead and tell them. Tell them Lucy sent you. <laughs> so anyway, they go down to uh, Delta Vega, and Kirk is. Giving instructions to have some sort of destruct button set up so they yep. can blow up the place if they have to blow up the place. They put Gary in a holding cell, and it's one of these holding cells that doesn't have any bars. It just has some sort of force field. Yes. And they have a little weird conversation with him in which he's being, you know, a lunatic. And he walks into the force field and loses, and it shocks him. He falls down. And for a second, he loses his power. And this must have right. been a great scene for Gary Lockwood because for a second, he doesn't have yeah. the tinfoil in his eyeballs. <laughs> he must have loved that. So it, it was a really good day for him when, yes. when they got to, when they had to film that scene. Now, it's funny because he, he, he gains the powers back. The eyes turn and, okay, this was only temporary that he lost his power. But their perception of it is, oh, look, he's, he's getting stronger. And I was thinking, well, maybe if he just runs into that force field enough times, it'll zap all of the power out of him. It, it seemed I like... think the feeling is more like he, he ran into the thing, now he learned it, and that made him stronger because it didn't kill him kind of a thing. I, I, I guess so, but there's no other illustration of it. Like, this is it. it, it doesn't, he doesn't walk into it again. Uh, yeah, well, well, but he's the one that actually says it. He says, I'll just keep getting stronger. You know that, don't you? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's the one that tells them what's going on. Yeah, he says that. I don't know. Uh, well, at this point, he's he's gained strength. That's uh, you know what, what did Sulu say? It's like a penny take you know doubling it yes. every day in a month to be a millionaire, yeah, and that yes, does seem yes. to be happening. I mean, yeah. I don't think that we're talking about days going by. This seems like it's only been a couple of hours, right? Yeah, but we we we've encountered something that took away his the power for a moment. So if they looked, if yes. they wanted to solve the problem, they would say, okay, what is this force field made of that's in this holding cell? Let's put that into something and then shoot Gary with it long enough that it saps all of this ability out of him. That it takes. I, that it I, does I see something. that. I think that that's valid, except I just don't think there's, there's time. They're rushing, right? They're trying to, like, get that self-destruct button done. I don't. I think they feel like they that, that he's growing exponentially and that there's no time to come up with a new weapon. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> keep him subdued as long as you can and get the hell out. And, you know, good luck, Kelso. <laughs> oh, Kelso. All right, so uh, we go back to the ship for a second. You see Scotty is uh, repairing the bridge, is putting, like, new computers. He's putting new lights that just blink onto the computers again, making sure that those non-functioning blinking lights are there. And we also learn... That hey, did did Mr. Spock get the phaser rifle that I sent down oh, there? Oh my gosh. There we go. And and Kirk's like, huh, phaser rifle, eh? <laughs> and sure enough, 
there is Spock showing up with some sort of ridiculous toy that they got at FAO Schwartz and uh, <laughs> is really the silliest looking rifle I've ever seen. I think it's badass. You think I can't it's wait to course. get that and start shooting my dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, right. it, and it also says, this is where we learn in this scene, yeah. that he did try to go through the force field again. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, at this point, you know, Spock, Spock says, look, he tried to go through again, and this time his eyes changed back even faster, and he, did, he didn't become as weak. Well, okay, well, there just ruins my theory. All right, so... We also it seems like some time has passed. It feels like we've moved ahead a little bit. I don't know six hours. Bit, yeah. I don't know how long. But Gary's okay. now he's now getting premature gray hair. So it's there's some there's, a, there's some ah. drawbacks to the power. He's he's now got gray hair all on the temples. And he's huh, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. You did not notice this. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, he's okay. got the yeah he's got the grays. And he's also just kind of standing around, like looking around as though he's surveying everything. And this is also when uh, poor poor Lee Kelso, he, he, oh yeah, he meets an untimely fate by a yes <laughs> by a wire that's moving all by itself, and it strangles him. He's just minding his own business, trying to I don't know fix something, do something, and he gets strangled by a a wire. Big giant ca- cable, like a like a cable, yeah. Yeah, big yeah. cable goes around his neck, and that's the end of him. What did you think about? Um, I mean, as as cheesy as the special effects generally are on the show, the the way they showed like the cup moving on its own when he was in sick bay, oh, the cable true. moving on its own. I, all right, the uh, the cable the water looked... coming out on its own. The ca- all right, so let's see. The cable looked a little yeah. hokey. Uh, oh, the cup okay. looked totally cool. How do you think they did that? I mean, there's got to be a wire involved, though, or somehow. Right? I would think that there is a wire involved. Yes. How do you do it with a? I don't even understand because it it goes. It does. It doesn't look like it's going through. I was thinking maybe there's like two holes in the cup, and then there's like fishing line, and it just like goes straight down. But that's not what I saw. What I saw was that the cup looked like it was almost like flying through air currents or something. Like it didn't go in exactly a straight line. Oh. And it. Remember, then it also comes flying out of his hands, and Kirk catches and it. Kirk catches it. Yeah. Yes, in fact, I think that actually looks cooler. Yeah. Well, right. I thought if it leaves me wondering today, fifty years and a week later, yep. how they did it. That's pretty good, right? Oh no, no, that's good. I thought that was a great effect. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that was pretty good. I thought they did a pretty good job of showing when, like. The eyes go from silver to brown and then back to silver. I thought yes. that was okay. Yep, that was fine. <laughs> yep. And um and I still like the um the cable, but you don't. The wire it, it looked a little cheesy to me. It did. It although, looked to although, me like although I will tell there's you there's no way he could get out of it. What like was, it really had him. <laughs> that yes, that's for sure. And okay. I, I will tell you, when it happened, yeah. When you know, Lee's just minding his own business and I see the wire. I said, oh, no. I, I actually said, I was like, oh, I was highly, highly amused and shocked at what was happening. Because I knew. Were I was you like, really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, is it the end for him? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> You're not getting uh, out of this, Lee. You, oh, yeah. You and, simple-minded you know, he had so fool. Many lines. Huh? He had so many lines. He did. No, th- 
that character was a major part of things, and I'm yeah. now realizing why the bridge looks so different was because some of these he characters ain't coming back after this episode. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He's, so, he's one of them. Suddenly there's some open spots on the bridge. Uh, yeah, right. There's a, right. There's a few openings and, you know, you get promoted into that spot, you know. Well, um, there's a helmsman's yeah. position open. Hey, someone tell the physicist. That's what, the, <laughs> that's what, that's what happened. They, they posted the new openings, you know. Yes. Yes. I can't wait. Pick me. Pick me. Yeah. All right, so you know it's it's also so modern today, though. Couldn't don't we all know some people that would be like leaning against a uh, a counter or or, or or a table or something, just chatting aimlessly on their cell phone when a cable could go ahead and just get you? <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> this is a problem with the millennial faces, actually. Exactly, it's, it's an oddly <laughs> modern problem. All right, so this is also uh, right after this. Gary has decided he's had enough of uh, hanging around in that little prison cell. So he uses his electro powers to shock Kirk and Spock. He's out now he's out loose. The force field is who knows what happened to it. Not happening anymore. But before he leaves, hey, lady doctor. <laughs> what what you doing for the rest of your life? You come on and hang out with me. She appreciates his powers. And uh, she kind of shares in his powers a little bit there. Well, they go into the cell, yes, which I thought was weird because what are they going to do in there? They're just going to stare at each other in the mirror. Uh huh. And and that's where you can see that there is no seven inch difference in height. <laughs> There's no way Sally Kellerman ain't no five two. Well, I didn't think so. Um, you know, She's as tall as everybody else in that episode. I know. I know. You're exactly right. 5'2 is what they have read. That's like 5'2 uh, is like uh, Deborah on Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, maybe when they were making that particular episode, Deborah, uh, they they wrote those – they came up with all of those props and they had that script first and then they they'd cast it oh. later and they didn't think about – or, you know what they also did? They didn't huh? think that anybody was going to pause the television and read what was on those damn forms. I'll tell you what. I like your first theory better because I tend to think that they they took such great um, pains oh, to be yeah. so thorough about things like that. Oh, that not necessarily sake. that they were thinking whether or not someone would one day mm -hmm. pause it. They just wanted to do it right oh, and not really. like just like, oh, we can get away with this. this I think so your first theory is right. They had someone else in mind. So you're you're uh, you're going with Star Trek nobility as, as your reasoning. No, 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 no. I just like. know that there's a lot of there's just so much uh, effort that, you know, Gene Roddenberry puts into this show to make things as good as he possibly can. As you know, in the early days, he's just so invested that uh, I mean, the, the, the reason he doesn't get along with a lot of his writers is because of all the multiple rewrites that he does. Um, instead of just taking a script and saying, oh, yeah, that's good. He winds up rewriting, 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 and then having someone else rewrite. And then he rewrites and. I just think, um, you know, it doesn't seem like that. that's the behavior of the show. So I think because we, this is the pilot, they're still casting for people. They don't have a lot of time. They got to get this thing done right away. They only had seven days to shoot it. They, oh, over, they took nine. It cost $300,000 to uh, shoot it, by the way, half of what it cost to do the cage. They actually were considering Jack Lord 
and Lloyd Bridges in the role of Shatner. Uh, I mean, in the role of, of of Kirk. So I just think there's a lot of things going on here, and I, I I bet you we could find out that they had someone else in mind to play Sally Kel- uh, Kellerman's role, Doctor Daner, someone who's a lot shorter. I think you're right. And I, I want to go with theory number one. All right. Well, listen, as long as we can move on from now. Uh, that's all she that does go matters. to a lot of the comic conventions, so we, I'm sure we can catch her. <laughs> you can just ask her. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if you ask her this question, she'll say, oh, yeah, of course, I was supposed to be 5'2", but, you know. <laughs> that's what she'll say. When you bring up, I would please bring up this bit of minutia to Sally Kellerman. That would be yes. fantastic. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. what's. Well, you know, you could also bring up the fact that she was in Meatballs 4 if you want. It's one or the oh. other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, in this scene here, so oh, no, when. Wait, I'm sorry, it's Meatballs 3. Escape... Meatballs 3. I apologize. So when they escape from the, from the, from the jail or whatever, right? Yeah. We see the doctor show up. And the doctor does something interesting here. Kirk is already coming back, you know, out of subconsciousness, right? And he gives him a pill. Did you catch that? Hmm. I don't know if I did. Yeah, he gives him a pill. You can't really see if it's a pill or not, except for the fact that he's about to do the same thing to Spock. And Kirk says, no, wait to give him a pill. Do you remember that? That, yeah, you know, yes, yes, yes. Okay. We'll never see pills again. Uh, in any form of Star Trek ever, I think. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's all that fake, uh, you know, what is that? That incubator. What is that? The uh, the the baster, the turkey baster that they <laughs> push the air into the into the blood vessels whatever, in the arm, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Whatever that that uh, super syringe is that uh, the yeah, air that's it, that's the, super syringe. The air syringe, I guess. Yes. yes. Which the air syringe? Which does make an appearance earlier in this episode when they knock out yes. Gary that they use an air yes. syringe on him. Yeah, yeah. Right, but I think going forward, you're only going to see everything that ever gets ingested in the in the body seems to always be through that air syringe. Which doesn't no seem like ever it, a pill again. It doesn't seem like it hurts either. Every time they do, it, it looks okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I would take that. Yeah, where, where is that technology? Damn it! All right, so now. Gary and uh, Dr. Daner have, have run off together to have a nice romantic, uh, you know, existence. They go and they – and Gary – Gary now has powers that are I, – I don't know. I don't know that ESP has anything to do with some of the powers that he has these days. He has the the power to create gardens. He, uh, you know, hey, this is our new area in, in yeah. the mountain range of Delta Vega. Let's go ahead and spruce it up with some plants. You know, he just thinks and stuff starts. Oh, now it's there. You would think that if you could do this, that maybe he would instead, I don't know, um, think of a mansion, something like that. Think of something a little bit fancier than just some hay uh, on the ground. Well, maybe he'll get there, or maybe that's too trifling for him. Maybe he's more interested in creating nature. Uh, <laughs> right? Perhaps. You know, I, I wonder if maybe. Uh, that was something that could could actually grow on the planet, and maybe that's why he thought of of putting that there. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. I, I felt like now all of a sudden he's okay with being here, right? Yes. Before he was like, I don't want to go there because that's a little too barren for me, and I want to find something better. Now he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I could be anywhere. I could make it as good as a, I'm never going to make it. Yeah, and you know – all right, so here's what's so funny about that. 
I, I, I was thinking this too. And this is when we see the so Gary and Dr. Dana are, are now they're planning their honeymoon together on their empty planet <laughs> with their with their apple tree that he created for her. And here comes here comes the party pooper Kirk and yeah. he's got the phaser rifle in tow with him. And I'm oh, yeah. thinking they've left. This would be a time for you to get on your spaceship and leave. We we know by now that the ship is pretty much repaired. So you can move on and you don't have to encounter this lunatic anymore. You can just take your crew of those who are still alive and leave before somebody else gets strangled by a cable. I think yes, you're correct. He could do that. But I think the thinking is once again this is the the noble Kirk that we're seeing here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that this being is growing so much that um you know, maybe it's going to affect anybody that's not even in their ga- – I mean, people throughout the entire galaxy, maybe throughout the universe. How much more powerful is this thing going to become? And, yeah. you know, it's still somewhat human. This is the – even though the opportunity seems to be dwindling to be able to do something about it, at least there's some percentage of uh, – there's uh, some sort of a chance of it happening. I guess it's all right. Look, we need to deal with this problem because eventually he's going to have some sort of he's he'll have enough power that he'll be a problem for us down the road. I better kill him now. So, yeah, exactly. Hunt him down with the phaser rifle. So Gary knows that Kirk is coming. Gary could sense Kirk is there. He says to Dr. Dana, hey, why don't you go? uh, Why don't you go talk to him for me? All right. You know what I liked about that is because he knows the path. Right, that that she's going down, so he knows what it's like to start to look at humans as like annoying to you and not not to worry about them and their feelings and their fears and stuff like that. And he knows that, you know, she's a psychiatrist, so she's been trained to study the emotions and things like that. And he wants her to like go there so you can see once and for all and get them out of your system. I, that's what I think he's doing. Fair enough. She shows up. She's also got the crazy eyes now. Which I don't think Kirk is happy to see. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not happy to see those things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, so they have a little conversation about it. Kirk talks about how Gary, hey, he's got no compassion. There's no humanity left. They're having this little back and forth about uh, Kirk trying to convince her that Gary is he's a problem. This is let me not ask you now. That you, you want. What do you think about the acting here? I, you know what? I totally am paying attention to Shatner's acting. I think he's okay. fine. Yeah? I don't see the mannerisms that uh, that everybody has with him, that everybody likes to talk about with him. But you know, every, I, I did hear one of his little inflections that everybody does the, the cliche impression of him with. But I, I thought he was pretty solid. So you think that it's good that he's acting this way? Uh, yeah, absolutely. What do you think about the way she's acting? She's I mean, in terms of just the acting. Yeah, she's okay. Yeah. She's a little stiff. Okay. Well, he definitely is coming across as desperate, but able to communicate powerful thoughts at the same time, right? Yes, sure. I would agree with that. I think it's really really cool. Just some of the things that he says. Be a psychiatrist for one minute longer. Yes. Right? What's your prognosis, doctor? (laughs) I always think that Shatner is great in in scenes like that. Yeah. You know, as far as Shatter's acting ability, yeah. it's not until the last – whenever 
he's on Boston Legal. You ever uh, watch? Did you ever watch Boston Legal? Uh, I don't think I did. Okay. I just I would see the constant uh, previews. Right. So you know, I saw him and James Spader, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I will right. tell you something. He is legitimately fantastic in that role. Like his oh, really? acting is great. He is great. He was great on that show. And it, it's the sort of thing where I thought, okay, I, I have to reevaluate him a little bit here because I didn't know that, okay, that he was actually, a, he's really good on occasion, that he can be really good. But if, huh. if you watch him, his character is fantastic and he's fantastic in it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to pay attention to that and maybe I'll find it on Netflix or something. Um, I'm actually interested to, to see that now. Oh yeah, yeah. You would. Uh, it's it's a very in, it's a very enjoyable show. Very enjoyable show. It looks show. good, but it was just at, at a time when there were a lot of good shows. And I, I didn't have I'm with you. I probably only watched it for about a season, and I know it was on. Yeah. I think for four or five. And okay. and it, it was always good when I watched it. It was just one of those things that fell out of rotation for me. Anyway, is that his first role after all the Star Trek stuff? Like his first major role? I think it is. Right. His first major role. Yeah, after like the Star Trek movies and stuff. After the Star Trek movies, uh, so the last one he's in is Generations, and that's like '94. Um, well, you know, he <laughs> do, do the Tech War movies count? Because I know he does those, those TV movies. Do those no. count for anything? No. Okay. All right. So then, then okay, sure. <laughs> okay. His first role on a regular show. Yeah, I think that's what I'm talking about. Because obviously, I know he did movies and, and stuff, you know, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. 70s and whatever. But yeah, okay. All right. So anyway, because um, uh, wait, are we gonna just gloss over T.J. Hooker, or is that does not count? Oh no, no, it doesn't count because I meant like after the movies. after the movies. All right, all that's right. what I really meant. That's yes. fine. That's fine. By the way, T.J. T.J. Hooker it anyway. T.J. Hooker will will give you the opposite opinion of his acting ability. Just uh, uh, just so we're yeah. clear. And there is a fantastic episode with him and Leonard Nimoy, if you haven't seen it. Uh, is that right? Oh, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. All That's right. correct. Sorry, we're just, we're just way off track here. Let's get back on track as we're getting to our finale. So Gary shows up, and Kirk immediately fires the phaser cannon, and it shoots all kinds of cartoons at him, and uh, it does nothing. Gary it is inspires not... Gary to do something, though. Well, he starts. He 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 makes the the gun go away. <laughs> yeah, he pulls it out of his hand. He pulls it out of his hand, and it's like, ooh, it's gonna be gone. And uh, oh oh, I'm sorry. Did I also forget that uh, <laughs> this is where Gary starts moving rocks around? And when he does this, Doctor Daner's all right. Thinking maybe you're going a little too far here. Now, just before that happened, though, he did something else to let Kirk know what his future was. Oh, well, yes. Uh, all right. <laughs> right after, I think it's actually after he's, <laughs> you mean when he makes the grave? Oh, yeah. He makes a grave. And you know what? He's very thoughtful in making a grave because he makes a grave appear, but he also puts the headstone there. So I, Yes. Not, look, I'm not just going to bury you like we're, like we're out in Las Vegas or something. No, no. <laughs> this is going to be a nice and official, and everyone will know where you are. It's very nice. That, uh, now, that moment, though, is actually uh, famous in uh, Trek world because the headstone says James R. Kirk. No kidding. Ah, instead of the T. Instead of the T, which 
we all know stands for? Uh, Tiberius. Yes. Aha! Yes. And you would know that because you've seen the movies. Yes. And that's really the first time um, that the humanoid versions, the people, the human versions of Star Trek show or discuss his middle name. The first time his middle name comes up is in the animated series. So, but nonetheless. Wait, yes. wait. So his, says, his middle name is first mentioned in the animated series? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. And All right. So they, oh, wow, so they never mentioned it during the original series. Right. They just say James T. Kirk. And what does Tiberius mean? Does it mean something? I don't, I don't know that it does. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. So, yeah. So Gary makes a great forum, puts a headstone on there. And uh, then he says, rocks start falling around. You're right. This is the, the order that this happens. He throws out the line that morals are for men, not gods. <laughs> right. You know, like That's that. a good line, though. It is a good line. That's why I brought it up. Yes. 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 Yeah, okay. So now this is where Dr. Dan is, is, is now saying, look, you need to stop this. You're, I, I think you're a little out of control. And, well, and, but he's making Kirk do something. And, well, I'm getting to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the Gary then decides, you know what? Listen, I'll show you who's out of control. Kirk, start praying to me. There you go. Here's how in control I am. I'm going to make this idiot pray to me. So he forces him on his knees and he forces his hands together. Kirk's got to do a lot of miming in this part. Shatner's doing a lot of miming in order to get this done. It's great. I know. And I start, I, I kind of wondered when I was watching this, like, is this the beginning of like what's going to where he's actually going to wind up later, where maybe he is overacting, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like the like the second time that that Mitchell turns turns his hand, and like Kirk is already in the praying position, but like he just jerks his whole body. Yes, you know, uh, yes. like was that necessary? I don't know. I mean, but if, if he's doing what he's told to do, you know, undoubtedly, right by the director, <laughs> right? Yes. No, I yes. thought it was great. I totally dug yeah. it. So, this is where. All right, listen. That Dr. Daner, apparently, she's, uh, I don't know, she's had enough of this. She's seeing her future of living with a guy who thinks he's a god and realizes that's probably not such a great, so great for her. So, But, you know, there's something else that's going on here that I think it's Kirk's doing when he says, pray to me, Captain. And he says, to you, not to both of you. And then he makes some reference to him, you know, being jealous. Oh, yes, and- yes. One jealous god. If all this makes a god, or is it making him something else? One last chance, Kirk. Right, I think that that starts to trigger something in her mind that, wait a second, maybe Kirk was right all along, you know, because he also says there'll only be one of you in the end. And she starts thinking, you know what, maybe he was right about men turning into gods instead of starting out as gods. You can't do it because you, you have all your human frailties you know, that you're going to be dealing with even as a God. And I think that that demonstration plus the the words that Kirk is saying is what spurs her into action. Would you agree? Yes, I would totally agree. Okay. Because Kirk is running his mouth the entire time. Oh, yeah. He's running his mouth the entire oh, time that he's being forced to pray, and he's doing it so she will do something because he knows he's not going yeah. to get to him anymore. He oh, yeah. He, she's he, his last He's chance. not listening. She is the only option that he has. And yeah. eventually she decides, all right, I'm going to show you my electro powers. And so the two of them, she starts to shock Gary. Gary starts to shock her. And they both have the same animated shocking things happening to them that we saw on the bridge uh, okay. when they were going through the purple field. And eventually they're both on the floor. 
and Gary doesn't have his powers for for a little bit. Another good day for Gary Lockwood to not have the contacts in. <laughs> and so, with this, what does Kirk decide to do? I'm now going to beat the crap out of you. Right. <laughs> not, well, she says, not, hey, you better hurry up. You don't yes, have a lot of time. Exactly. I, you know, it's funny. When I was thinking, you don't have a lot of time. I'm like, all right, well, what are you going to do? And he just starts like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. It's time for a little fist action. And he starts <laughs> punching him and, like, throwing him over the rocks and, like, like doing, well, you know what doing judo moves. He's thinking, you know what? The NBC executives wanted more action. Here you go. You're paying attention, fellas. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it eventually, you know, Gary, who I would think is messed up from getting all of the shocks from right. from Dr. Daner, uh, which is why Kirk uses him as a punching bag. But eventually yeah. Gary starts fighting back a bit, and then he rips Kirk's poorly made shirt. And, yep. uh, and now we have a little beefcake for the ladies. Is it like it's like hanging open for the rest of the for the rest yeah, of this? The first of quite a few times we're going to see pieces of of Kirk chest. <laughs> I don't know what this is about, but it honestly seemed a little hilarious to me that he has running around with a torn shirt for. Uh, for this, the rest of this episode. It's not like the guy grabbed his shirt, right? It, I, somehow it, it, it just magically gets it's torn. It's just torn. It's yeah. just torn. There's no <laughs> shirt pulling, and then he pushes him away, and it rips. No, yes. none of that. It's just like I, I don't, yeah, I didn't know where it came from, but, it, it, and it also, it just looks funny. It doesn't look yeah. like, oh, wow, he's been in a serious fight. It looks like maybe Kirk likes to strip. I don't know. It just looks a little funny to me yes. more than anything else. So, I'll tell you, when I first watched this one, I remember watching this when I was a kid. I want to say I was like five or six. So I'm watching it when it comes out into syndication, which saves the show, of course, right? And so in the scene where he lifts up the rock, he has like, so he's got Mitchell on his back, and he, and uh, Mitchell seems to be dazed for the moment. He picks up a big rock with two hands, and he's yes. about to smash him in the head and kill him, right? Yes, yes. And as he raises the rock, he says, Gary, forgive me, yes. right? Okay, so I always remember watching this as a kid on our, you know, whatever, five-inch, you know, TV set back in 1973 or whatever. And it would cut to commercial at that moment. And then it would come back, and there he is once again. He's holding the rock. He says, Gary, forgive me. And what's, what's, what's struck, what has always struck me about that with Kirk is that, once again, he doesn't, he doesn't like to kill anything. He doesn't like to kill anybody. And here he has his one chance, and he pauses in that moment because he, it's so hard for him to do this. Because this, this Captain Kirk, this, this starship uh, leader, cannot be a cold-blooded killer. He doesn't like to kill anything. And all he has is he believes in his compassion so much. And it's just a, such a big, big part of him. And I was always struck by that personally. I think I, that, that, that part of Kirk always was something I would think about as I grew up later. That, you know, you, you have compassion for other people. And, of course, that doesn't really work out for him, though, right? Uh, no, not, not in this moment because his hesitation <laughs> gives Gary exactly the moment that he needs to, uh, to knock him off. And for yeah. his 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 abilities start to come back. Yes, is, the eyes start to turn gray or or silver or or really tin, uh, tin uh, tin again. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> now I will say, the solution that Kirk has to this problem, this Gary problem, is very cool. Gary falls into the grave to the open grave, 
Yeah. Kirk jumps for the phaser rifle and shoots the like mountain that's behind them, and the rocks fall and land right on top of that grave. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but that, that the rock that falls, yeah. that is the same rock structure that Gary was going to throw at him earlier. Yes. He kind of like stopped it and was interrupted by, by Dana, right? Yes. Yes. So when it lands on top of the grave, mm-hmm. you know, you see like the legs like moving and then like the headstone f- seems to fall directly on Gary. Yes, it and falls then, into the grave, yes. Yeah, and then the, but I don't you don't actually see rocks fall into the grave. You see this thing land on top of it. So, so you're you're are you thinking that he's still he's still alive in there? Well, I'm thinking that um, they didn't convince me, and that it could have been cool <laughs> if he came back in a later episode or something. It looks to me like he's just trapped in there, and maybe he is going to die of lack of air or something like that. But you just don't see any rocks in the thing. It's the same huge rock structure that lands on top of the grave. See, so now, it's like a lid. <laughs> yeah, it is. I now you know what's funny you you talk about him possibly coming back in a later episode that would have been cool I was thinking if they had just left him there yeah and then brought him back in a later episode and you see that the planet has now changed and he's now got it populated with people that he's enslaved or you know something else that would have I thought that would have been a really cool um, callback to to go to later on but anyway uh, I, I don't think we're getting that since I'm supposed no. to believe he's dead, and also not only is he dead, but the doctor is dead from the uh, from the shock fight that they had earlier. And she has one last line before she goes. I don't know what it is. You can't know what it's like to almost be a god, and I think she's right about that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know what I think about that line so much. <laughs> I, I'm... And at this point, you get a close up of the blood on Kirk's face. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You do get a little bit. And what's interesting about that is that in the shooting of this uh, episode, there was apparently either, a, depend, depending on which report you read, there was either a wasp nest in the rafters that was uh, <laughs> bothered or there was a, a bee's hive or something. But everybody got – a lot of people got stung, including Kirk, and that they had to like – when shooting resumed a couple of days later after all of these multiple stings – he actually had to have like extra makeup done on him. Oh, so I kind of wonder if that blood was put there strategically with that in mind. I don't know, but it's a, it's something I wonder about. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, not not so good her last line. That's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not so <laughs> She's good. Just saying it like much. it is, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm Kirk. I'm like, there's lots of things I can never know, but thanks for that. <laughs> That's a good point. Of all the things you could have told me, that yeah. one doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. You're right. All right. So now we're going to have our, I don't know, our epilogue on the ship. Yeah. And Kirk wants to have it officially noted that uh, Gary Mitchell and Dr. Daner, they both died in, in service. They were not bad people. Not bad. Yeah. Gary, listen, we don't want it known Gary turned into a horrible monster. He didn't ask for it. Yeah. I would like to remember him as just the regular, the regular sexist Joe that we had on the <laughs> ship. That's how I want to remember Gary Mitchell. Yeah. And and then oh yeah okay here, because throughout the episode, at several moments we we had noted we had seen that Spock 
was someone who did not seem to have a lot of compassion. To, obviously not a, a guy of a lot of feeling. Yep. And yeah, Spock, he talks about that in the opening scene. And, and Spock, where he says, ah, yes, uh, one of your Earth-like emotions. Yes, like yes, that, to right? establish, yes, there's a very quick establishment that Spock is not a, an emotional person. Although at the end here, Spock says that he felt for him. I felt yep. for him too. And Kirk notes, ah, there's help. There is hope for you yet. Yes. And that's where yes. we end. And I'll tell you, okay, so uh, in that little conversation there, yeah. uh, listening to some of the other very cool podcasts that are out there, and we'll, I'm going to give some of them a shout as we go because uh, I've learned a lot of, well, from what I know, uh, they've really helped me learn a lot. Um, and uh, they talk about the constant, you know, uh, tug, uh, the pull push thing that's going on with Spock and the emotions and whatever. And, um, and if there's actual racism, com- you know, going at Spock, and this seems to be like an example of that. Like this is Spock is the, he's the, the, the non-emotional side versus, or the intellect, if you will. And then everybody else re- represented most of the time by Kirk is the emotion. So who's better? And Spock every now and then will hold it over Kirk. Ha ha ha. I'm so better than you because I'm a Vulcan. And this is where he says, well, ha ha ha, you know, look at this once again, you know, we've proven that we're superior. I'm glad you're starting to see the light. Um, so uh, some people say, listen, everybody gangs up on Spock all the time and beats up on him. So that kind of makes it racism. Um, this is a situation where it's sort of like 50, 50, it's the two sides, each represented by one humanoid and they both get their say. Although Kirk, of course, has the last last word, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, he does have the last word. And man, all right, that was just, I don't know what to say about all that interpretation that you just gave me right there. <laughs> he also, Spock, also smiles again a little bit. No, I didn't notice that he was smiling just, in that at the end there. Just the wait, tiniest, tiniest. Was it, wait, wait it, was it, it was a smile at Kirk saying, hey, maybe there's hope for you yet? Yeah, oh, he looks okay. at him and then he looks up, you know, looks away. And he has this little smile. See, he wants uh, there to be hope. He wants to I, be more human like. I don't know. I think maybe he's just enjoying the the back and forth. Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. All right. Now, so, you also get to see your this is your last vision of Yeoman Smith. Oh, she was kind of cute too. That's too bad. It's all over. Sorry, sexist. Yeoman Smith. There, Danny. It's right there from you. Uh, wait. How is that sexist? You said she's cute. She's just a you know a functioning person, a, a member, faceless entity on the on the Enterprise. Uh, yeah, but she's still cute. Um, that's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's sexist. I think it's okay. Think all, it's right. all right. Well, what do you think about Kirk's decision though mm-hmm. to note this in the logs the way that he does? Uh, it's it's a very it's a very nice noble kind of attitude to have because now honestly, Doctor Dana I think is a little on the sketchy side. Uh, She's a little – she didn't have the reasoning that Gary did. Gary had something happen to him that made him go all cuckoo bananas, right? And while she also had something happen to her as well, it was a much lesser extent. And she was from – before it even happened, she was downplaying the entire ESP thing. She was downplaying as though it was no big deal. Just a little insight. What's the big deal? <laughs> right, right. I, I'll tell you, I totally agree with you about about how he handles the Dana part of it. She, her, her actions 
throughout this crisis were were not uh, were not worthy of praise. Right, uh, totally questionable. She was totally into helping Gary out almost from the beginning. Like she was fascinated yeah. by him. She wanted yeah. to to know more. She was always she was against the idea of uh, having him imprisoned, of having him uh, marooned on a planet, of of doing anything with him. We need to learn from him. Uh, having someone like this around can can be a good thing. Like her attitude was completely the wrong attitude to have the entire time. And and also well, when she was giving out her information, her analysis of things, she really did downplay it like 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 you, yes. like it was nothing that was going on. If she on. had been truly unbiased, maybe they would have been able to save him. Like just mar- marooning him there like they wanted to do. Yeah. Maybe they could have like come to the conclusion quicker, you know? But Kirk as he was torn between what to do and what not to do, you know, she was that that one voice that he part of him wanted to hear. You know, don't don't you know, don't hurt this man. Yes, you know, and so yes. he he needed to hear that from somebody. So she kind of delayed the actual decision to say, okay, this is what we got to do. Which of course, you know, he used that time to get more and more powerful, which ultimately led to his death and her death. Yeah. Uh, but I would also I would also question his uh, his reasoning. To not put it in the – to not document what happened to this man. I mean am I wrong or does he simply say he died in the line of duty? Does he, does he explain for the, for the future generations that are going to come that this is what happened? And hey, when you, cross the, uh, when you cross the edge of the galaxy, don't have anybody with ESP on board because this is what happens to you? Well, all right. So I, I don't – did we hear – Everything that he put in that report, or d- just that they died in official service? Well, he starts it out with captain's log, star date, you know, he, blank. You're blank. right, he does. All right, so, well, yeah. If he goes ahead and he puts it in, and that's all he puts in there, then yeah, that's a total disservice. But he also makes it seem like it is an addendum. You know, he says he wants to add to the record that, you know, well, she gave her up, life. All right, we'll make up your mind. Do you way. think it's an addendum, or do you think it's the full report? I don't know. Right. I don't know. I will tell you that we will see other times where it's clear that he is not completely forthcoming in the in the uh, in the final logs. So it does seem like it's possible that he didn't fully report. Well, that's crappy. Uh, but I don't know. I think it is open to uh, interpretation. We need we, we need some documentation as look, if you go through the purple crap that's out there in space, yeah. weird, weird things can happen to you if you have ESP. Which I don't know how you document who has ESP. I guess that's something that you, you do in the 23rd century. I don't know. That we have. Well, that's what, but, but don't forget they had the records of both Mitchell and her, and in fact of yeah. everybody else on board the Enterprise that died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I yeah. think I think that they would have that. Like they do probably such a thorough workup of your entire history. Sure. You know, that they know all of those things, and um, you need to know because they are now leaving the galaxy based on this experience. Mm-hmm. That okay, hey, if you've got ESP, it's going to be bad news for everybody. So you can't go on that mission. Yeah, just have some floating signs out there before you get there. <laughs> People with ESP, turn back one mile. ESP, right? Not wanted here. <laughs> go to south of the border. <laughs> 100 light years behind you. Turn around now. Yes. <laughs> Pedro on a, on a starship of his own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Page, all right. South of the border, uh, floating space billboards are something that I would actually like to see. Yes. Kind of, if, all right. Yes. Now, if they remaster Star Trek and add those in as the ship is, float, is, is going past, 
and you just start seeing those. And we're done? Th- You're th- done? Then I'm a Star Trek fan. Then I'm Ooh. a fan. That's all we need. That's all, all right. we need. Well, maybe we'll get there, Dan. All right. So do we need a, a, a final evaluation of this episode here? I just wanted to mention one more thing before we get to that. Oh Definitely we do. Um, yeah. Just another of piece things. of trivia that's interesting is that at one point um, when they're going down to the planet you know, to repair the ship, they're talking about uh, getting some uh, something called lithium. So that's going to help the, the ship become repaired. Mm-hmm. And later on, it's going to be very important. It's going to come up over and over again. That's actually going to be called dilithium, and it comes in the form of crystals. Are you familiar with it? Um, I, I, I know that there's crystals that power the ship. Yes, so they're, I, they're I, incredibly I powerful. In Star Trek II. That, um, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Well, this comes up as a constant thing. Those ships engines run on dilithium crystals they have to be mined from certain planets it's a very um you know special kind of intricate thing you're going to see moments where people are mining for it um and uh it's i think it's probably contains like the most powerful uh source of energy in the universe it's something like that dramatic so they haven't figured that out yet here but so they just call it lithium something or other and they also talk about um how ships are operated by impulse power versus warp power. So the the starship Valiant, the one that had um, blown itself up 50 years earlier, there was no such thing as warp power yet. It only ran on impulse power. Huh. Impulse power these days in this series, it's going to be something that will power like um, all of the all of the life support systems. And maybe you can – I think you can move around and maybe go re- in reverse and stuff like that. But you can't go really fast. So that's why they say you know, without the uh, lithium here, we're only running on impulse power. Instead of being days away from the next Trek base, we're now light years away. Do you remember that? Mm, that's – no, I don't remember this. That's right when like they're trying to fix you know, all the things that have blown up on the bridge. Oh. That conversation happened. Oh, okay, so, okay. I know the conversation talk- you're talking about, though. Yes. Okay, so then there you go. So that's the introduction that there's something called impulse power, which is like if you – I kind of, kind of look at it like if you drive a hybrid vehicle that runs on you know, electric energy for you know, 10 seconds at a time, um, you can only go so fast. Right. Once you press the pedal down, then you can go 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. And uh, then the engine starts to run. Well, that's what these ships are made of with the with the dilithium crystals. You know, they can go into warp factor one, warp factor two and so on and so forth. And those 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 um, numbers are like they're sort of like gears, I guess. And they power the the ship. So anyways, Uh it's just interesting that we're hearing lithium before it becomes dilithium before it becomes crystals <laughs> mm. and all of that so just a little note sure that yes was, that was very interesting so now right. tell me yes. before you tell me how, how much closer you are to becoming a fan mm. what did you think of the episode how did it compare what were your what uh, right. expectations did you have surprises well, i did like it uh more than i liked the cage uh that's for sure I, this is definitely my favorite star trek episode out of the two? Out of the two. This is my okay. favorite one of all time so far is this one. <laughs> okay. And it... I, I, I think I gave the cage a six. I would give this one maybe a seven and a half. It was definitely more interesting. There was more stuff going on, and it was good to see the characters that I do recognize. Uh, you know, 
Uh, Kirk, obviously, Spock, obviously, a little bit of Scotty, a little bit of Sulu. And, and seeing those familiar faces d- does help out a little bit. The story was pretty interesting. Of, of course, there's always some kind of goofy things that happen, uh, sure. as we discussed. Yep. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. This was good. Well, how did it compare to the way you sort of view the, the series in your mind? Did it fall right in line? It, was kind it, of fall, was it, it, kind, it kind of falls right in line, I would say. Oh, it does? Yeah, okay. it kind of falls in line, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. And um, and so how much does this move you? It's the ultimate question here. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. How much? Because you said that on a scale of zero to 100,000, with 100,000 meaning you would become a Trek fan. What were you at? I was Remember? At, I was at five, I think. I think I think you were at five. I think I was at five. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yes. I, okay, so I, where I, are you? All right, so we're gonna we're gonna move that dial a, a little bit. Maybe but, we should go with a drum roll on this. I don't have a drum roll. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I thought I thought hell? you had more special effects than uh, Star Trek. I, you know what? I, all right, here I'll tell you what. Just for you, just for you, yeah. handsome. I've got one. It's a terrible drum roll, but I got one. Listen to this. Oh yeah, I've got a Yeah, this is the drum roll that uh, Fonzie had when he when he jumped over the the <laughs> the cars and then he crashed into the chicken stand. That's, that's yeah. yeah that I want to hear the motorcycle crashing though. But anyway, <laughs> I don't have that. Uh, I I have. How about this? That's that's what it sounded like when he landed. Ooh. Oh, okay. That's good stuff. All right, so I would say I'm moving the dial from five to eight. <laughs> you only moved up three notches? I'll say I I would be willing to go as high as ten. Willing to go as wow. high as ten. That's a long way to get to a hundred thousand. Yeah, it is. It really is. You know, I'll tell you what, I'm feeling a little terrible. I'm gonna put it at twelve. Because like if the cage got me to five and I like this more than the cage, then it should be another more than just another five. So I will say I'm at a twelve. How do you think uh, they did as far as what the producers wanted them to do? The or I'm sorry, the the NBC executives wanted. I, as far as far as uh, you know, vamping up the show a little bit. Uh, they, I, they thought it was too cerebral the first time. Eh. They wanted more action. It was definitely – it's still a little cerebral. This had a little more action. And yeah, there's not really – I don't find that this is going to be a series that's full of action to me. It's going it's to – not Batman and Robin. Uh, yeah, ex- <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Although – I know that because I didn't see Kapow ever when he was punching out Mitchell. See, another way to improve the series in the uh, remasters, if they, they just throw those in there. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Okay, so you are at 12. Yeah, Boy, I'm at 12. You got a long way to go. Yeah. All right, so next next time around, Joey, what episode are we going to be watching? Okay, so now we I think we revert to the normal um production run. It, it kind of doesn't matter now. I wanted you to watch the pilot, the real pilot first, so we skipped it where it actually in the production order, I guess it's uh, or the the aired order, it's it's number 4. So we moved that to number 2. And now we'll just go right back to what should have been number two. And so that'll be or and now it'll be number three. And we'll just keep going on down the line. And it's called The Man Trap. The Man Trap. All right. So next time here on Attempting Trek, I will be attempting to get through The Man Trap. (laughs) 